Hello and welcome to episode 178 of the Waters Waveland podcast. I'm your host, Wei Shen, and as usual, I'm joined by my co-host, Tony Malikian. Hey, Tony, how are you doing? I'm doing well, doing well. I just finished watching an episode of a new Netflix series called uh, Messiah, and uh, two episodes in. It's pretty decent. I'm give it a chance. And that was my recommendation, right? Yes, I think it was, yes. Yeah. So you know what you're talking about. I do. It's it's really good. So, anyway, this week we have um, a special guest, a uh, special episode for you guys. And uh, Tony actually had an interview earlier this week with um, Jonathan Kellner and Tom Fay um, from the Members Exchange. So that will be a pretty, pretty good one. Um, Tony, can do you have anything to say about the how the interview went? Yeah, sure. Yeah, it was, uh, James and I back when this back when the Members Exchange was first announced, um, you know, we're pretty skeptical of it. Especially, I, I was very skeptical of it. Um, I can't really remember what James says, but I seem to remember him being skeptical of it. But um, and quite frankly, I just thought that this was you know, a cudgel to be used in the market data fee fight. And, um, but then when they hired Jonathan Kellner, um, I was like, all right. And then they started building teams like, all right, well, it'd be pretty screwed up if they just kind of abandoned this thing. Now that they got everybody in there, they're actually building this thing. Um, but I, but I asked Jonathan about that and, and Tom about that. Yeah. I said, you know, I, I'm skeptical. Um, and that there are people skeptical of it. There are people that think that the market is already, too fragmented and that there's, you know, that there isn't a need for another exchange. Um, so they talk about that. Uh, Tom walked through uh, how they're kind of building the infrastructure around the exchange, some of the technologies um, that they're going to be using, deploying, and how they're going to look to make it a different uh, experience than um, your more traditional established exchanges. And talked with uh, Jonathan a little bit just about, you know, kind of what happened at Coinbase. Um, and a little bit just about uh, his thoughts on crypto. So get into that, and then what needs to happen in 2020. They still need to be approved by the SEC, um, and so there are, there are a couple big milestones that they're going to have to hit here in 2020. So we talk about all that. I think it went really well. I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, so it's worth a listen, I guess, for sure. And, and obviously, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that'll be pretty cool. I mean, I guess it also, I mean, uh, we've uh, published articles about Memex before, um, and uh, quite a big piece uh, that we did with James um, when, when it was first announced, right? And that was that that, that came out pretty good. Uh, speaking to people in the industry about it and what they thought about it and how, I mean, how it could, um, you know, potentially take off or not. I mean, but that was, the, that was before um, Jonathan actually came on board so yeah this will be this will be good so um i mean before we jump into that uh, we have a couple of uh uh articles that we've published this week um joanna has a has a story out on apis and uh well i I really love this the start of the story so do check it out i also published one on um how asset managers i mean uh global asset managers like BlackRock and uh, UBS are um, trying to expand in China. I mean, now that China is slowly opening up, I mean, they have introduced, I mean, Chinese regulators have introduced a bit more uh, of a relaxed, I guess, measures to uh, to allow uh, foreign institutional players to to further participate in their market. So 
it'll be interesting to see what happens there you can uh, i'll add the links here so do check those um articles out and um without further ado let's just jump straight into tony's interview with the uh, memex here enjoy the rest of the week enjoy Okay, and now I'm joined here with uh, Jonathan Kellner and Tom Fay. Thank you, gentlemen, both uh, for joining on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thank you. So for those who don't know, uh, Jonathan Kellner, he's the CEO of Members Exchange, otherwise known as Memex. Uh, Many of you will remember Jonathan from his time at Instanet. Uh, He's also held tech and trading jobs at places like Charles Schwab and Morgan Stanley. Has a degree in mechanical engineering from the University of Michigan, correct? Go blue. And absolutely. <laughs> and uh, and joining uh, Jonathan, obviously Tom Fay. Uh, he's Memex's uh, chief operating officer. Thirty years of experience uh, in tech and engineering. Uh, he joined over from Nasdaq. I uh, worked at Virtue, several other uh, companies in both the defense and telecom space. And while Go Blue, yes, indeed. I've actually think I've interviewed more people from the Stevens Institute than I've actually institute from the University of Michigan here in kind of like the fintech world. So uh, go but, Ducks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really quickly, um, you know, John, let me start with you, and then jump over to Tom. Uh, uh, Tom. Just a little bit about uh, what it is that you know you're doing here with Members Exchange. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> so Members Exchange was formed by nine financial institutions to bring competition to the U.S. equity space. So the U.S. equity uh, markets, um, three companies, there's basically three firms that really control 95% of the lit markets. Um, Those are are CBO, ICE, which owns NYC, and NASDAQ. So our investors found that we need to bring competition to the space. And what does competition bring? It really brings three things. First of all, we want to put pressure on fees, on market fee, on market data fees, on connectivity fees. So try to bring fees down across the industry. The second thing that competition brings is a voice for the investors. So the exchanges have a, a very uh, strong voice in where market structure goes and around the market structure debate. And the members feel like they want to make sure that they have a strong voice and are represented in Washington around these debates. Okay. And the third thing that competition brings, which uh, and, and maybe the biggest, is um, the chance to innovate. So we are going to innovate um, via technology. Um, we also believe that by being here, we will uh, the, the other ex- competition will, will force the other exchanges to innovate as well, and it's just generally good for the markets overall. Okay. And Tom, you know, obviously you come with a tech communications background, um, jumping off of what Jonathan was saying about innovation and kind of what new things you're bringing to the market. We'll dig more into this, but maybe from a high level perspective, how do you kind of view this as kind of a new opportunity for the exchange? Yeah, sure. I, I think we're at a very interesting time right now. We sort of sort of seem to be in that kind of 15 year cycle where there's a lot of new technology that you can bring to bear on sort of existing problems. One of the things that was really exciting to me about this opportunity, um, and, and that's what we're seeing right now, uh, the maturation of cloud as a, as a viable computing environment in a secure space and and their uh, their ability to actually address some of the concerns uh, in the financial industry, certainly. Uh, but then you look at kind of the hard tech providers that have, over the last 10 years, turned their focus to this industry. Uh, you're hearing about things like FPGA, FPGAs being used, GPUs being used, um, the convergence of, of uh, you know, networking CPU and memory into very, very small 
uh, installs and in, in, in small footprints allows us to kind of take a really fresh look uh, at how we solve this problem, and that, that was something that was really attractive to me. Okay. You know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys on is because, let me let, just being frank for my, myself, like, so um, when you guys first announced uh, when the company was first announced, before you, before they had kind of put a team in, um, and and just this idea was created, I thought to myself, and we, uh, my colleague James Rundle, time myself, we talked about how I felt like this was more of kind of a cudgel that was going to be used around market data fees. You know, the sell side just you know really trying to take it to the legacy um, exchanges, but I was very skeptical as to whether or not this would get off the floor. And then obviously they announced it, the hiring of a CEO, and I was like, "All right, well that'd be pretty screwed up if this was just something that was going to disappear." And they hired somebody, you know, and then obviously building out a team now that you guys have. How do you respond before we get into the kind of technology and kind of how this is going to be different from a, a different kind of trading experience? Maybe for those that already felt that. In the U.S., there was already a, a bit too much fragmentation already happening. And those that said, maybe, all right, I'm not really sure that there's a need for another exchange. What is the response that you have? Now, obviously, a lot of very, very big, big banks on uh, banks and asset managers are behind this. What do you kind of say to those that are skeptical of this? Yeah, you know, I'm going to use the same word again, competition. They're there. There is fragmentation, but there is not enough competition. So again, you go back to there are 13 existing exchanges, well, 14 now and, and soon to be potentially 16 exchanges. But what we need more of is competition. Um, so I, I will tell you, when I saw Memex, my, one of my, when I was talking to Memex, one of my concerns was similar to what you said. Like, what if, what if all the other exchanges lower their, their fees? Mm-hmm. Um, does Memex go away? Are we done? Or at least have we been successful? And how, how are you going to tell the team that, you know, how are you going to show that we're successful or, or um, give us attribution for that success? Um, but as I met with the investors, uh, I started to understand what was going on. And there was this, this desire to, to bring a, a more of a voice around market structure and, and, and to be a, a part of the exchange space like it used to be, where it used to be member, you know, b- before they all went, became public entities, it was really member-owned. And there's a feeling that we need to go back to that or at least have an entity that is back at that where, where the members have control of what's going on and have a say so that they can reflect what they need from, for their investors. And that was probably one of the biggest drivers around what why this came together more than just pressure on fees. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a feeling that, that, that we can do more to help improve the equity markets for investors. Okay. And then, Tom, I'll kick it over to you. With, so you have this idea of, all right, it's members coming together and it's, there's going to be fee competition. But at the end of the day, as I understand it, many, many exchanges are really more and more looking at themselves as technology companies, as places for innovation. How do you kind of view that differentiator for uh, Memex? Sure. Well, I think, you know, leveraging off of the the notion that uh, lack of competition produces a kind of a stagnation with respect to technology innovation. Um, Innovation requires change. And uh, in light of everything I kind of mentioned before in, in emerging tech, the ability to actually build this from scratch, going back to first principles. What problem are we actually trying to solve unencumbered by, you know, whatever technical debt or, or, 
or uh, you know structure internal structure that might be dictating uh, how one might you know innovate inside of a, an existing company kind of frees us and unlocks us uh, the ability to actually use these new technologies and uh, take a fresh look at the problem and that's really I think where the source of, of kind of creativity and innovation starts uh, yeah. you can't be you can't be hamstrung uh, you know kind of by your past or, or uh, you know some other concern and uh, that greenfield implementation we have now uh, is is really uh, quite freeing uh, from a creative perspective uh, and again I, I firmly believe that uh, you know innovation um, you know is, is the stimulus for you know change and and um, you know if you if you're not willing to take on a degree of risk and know how to manage that risk and, and certainly I think we have the uh, the technical acumen inside of our company to do so um, you're always going to kind of be you know hampered by that and and I think you know we've had an incredible support uh, all the way up to our board level to actually think differently about the problem and bring new and different ideas to how to solve it and I think that's uh, that's what's going to differentiate us ultimately. Okay, and I think also Tony that in you know the greenfield opportunity is especially unique now in 2019 and 2020 where technology has improved so dramatically that if you built an exchange three or four years ago you're already not able you're not you weren't able to take advantage of what we're able to take advantage of now so having the team that we put together with a greenfield opportunity with the technology that's available today it is puts us in an amazing position to bring some great change to the equity markets okay. well and let me let's let's stay with that idea of greenfield Tom let me kick to you here so Greenfield's nice. It's exciting. It, it offers you opportunities. You can learn from maybe mistakes of the past. Um, you're coming in from NASDAQ, so you know one of the most biggest, most reputable exchanges. What were some of the challenges, maybe though, when you come in? And yeah, it's Greenfield, but how do you actually get this thing off the ground? How do you actually get this environment up and running? Yeah, well, there's also that that time to market. Uh, <laughs> component of this and that dimension and certainly uh, you know there's always this this danger of uh, you know analysis by paralysis you know or analysis paralysis rather um, so it's knowing it's the experience of knowing where to apply the resources and where the where the problem points actually lie and as Jonathan mentioned we have a lot of experienced folks and there, there was always kind of these things about the system that uh, you know boy don't don't we wish there was a technology that did this um, that we could use and you're starting to see that to become commodity now. So it's really about kind of picking the spots and choosing where you want to take on that integration risk because you know holistically it's going to provide a better solution. And and it's really that experience that I kind of took away most from my uh, my days at NASDAQ and even at Virtu is, is making those decisions where you, you know you have this kind of time to market target. So you know you're going to take on some risk, but you need to do it in such a way that the, that the, uh, the outcome that you're going to get far outweighs uh, you know that that execution risk you're taking on, or that integration risk you're taking on. Um, so that's pretty much what we've done here. We've decided, hey, you know what? Anything that's commodity, we're going to buy. We'll take on the integration. We've identified some new companies to partner with that we think are going to bring formative change to how we build these systems. And then, obviously, anything that we believe is going to provide discriminating value that we can't get through those mechanisms, we'll build ourselves. And it's really kind of figuring out what falls into that bin. Um, you know, kind of with that end goal in sight of, hey, you know, we're, we may have a little bit of movement around where we want to go live, but not all that much. And we got to make sure that we can hit that date, but do it in such a way that we could always insert new technologies later. And that's where some of the senior architects, you know, spend a lot of time. Where, where are some of those areas where you think, all right, in turn, so obviously there are many, many vendor companies that can help us out. What are some of those areas, you know, broader speaking, that you think we're going to be able to do this better if we 
keep this internal. Sure. Um, one of the things that we, we kind of went back uh, to first principles on was we, we recognized, you know what, this whole thing's about data. The entire exchange business is about data. It's really not about algorithms anymore. Um, and if, if one views an order as the primitive order type that drives the entire ecosystem, you can actually architect a, a system around availability and visibility of that data, and that's what we've done. So you start looking at different technology providers, data platform providers. Do they work on-prem? Do they also work in the cloud? Is there any sort of uh, pain in transitioning back and forth between the two? Um, once I build my system around a data platform, I can use now modern techniques to access that data. I can run analytics on it. I can apply machine learning al algorithms to it in the cloud because I have all this compute available to me that I don't need to put in an expensive brick-and-mortar data center. So we wanted to unlock the value of that data for customers by building a new system that didn't require it to run inside you know, a traditional uh, data center ultimately for uh, sort of kind of post-processing or, or, or analytics, if you will, around that data. Um, and that was a very different way to look at the problem rather than, hey, everybody's got to come to where the matching engine is, and, and it's more of like bring your data to the compute. We're more like bring your compute to the data. And, and that kind of paradigm shift uh, you know, kind of gave us uh, a lot of new and different ideas on how to build the exchange. Okay. I think it's maybe important right now to for maybe mem uh, people that are listening that aren't fully aware, but so – the Members Exchange hasn't launched yet. Still seeking SEC, uh, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission uh, SEC approval right now. Um, what are maybe some of those next steps that have to happen before you guys can get truly off the ground and running? So <clears throat> there are really three tracks that we're following to get up and to get off the ground. And the, one of them is, as you say, to get uh, our exchange license. So we um, filed our exchange license uh, in September. It was put up on the SEC website on Halloween, and then on November 6th was published to the Federal Register. Um, that opened a 45-day comment period where the public could make comments about it. Um, there, was really, there was only one comment that came in from NASDAQ, um, and we, you know, we potentially will respond to that. Um, nothing major in terms of what we're building. Um, and then uh, we will work with the SEC if they have any other questions on our application, but we've been working with them for actually since April. So we're pretty confident that sometime over the next 30 to 90 days we'll, we, we will be able to get uh, our exchange license approval. Mm -hmm. um, we're also doing our own routing, which means that we need to be a broker-dealer. So we've filed an application uh, with FINRA to be a, to be a routing broker. Um, we have to hire people. Uh, we've hired 31 uh, people so far. Um, we have, we've had our whole development team in place since August, so we've been able to make great progress there. If you don't mind me, so of the 31, what are kind of the main positions that you've been hiring for and what are you kind of going to be looking for heading into 2020? So my whole management team we've hired, so COO, CTO, we've hired uh, a general counsel, we just hired our CFO, we have a chief people officer. Um, we have a business development person. We have a head of member experience. We're calling it, a, you know, our, our, our account management group. Um, and then within each one of those areas, there's been, you know, primarily on the technology side is probably where most of our hires are, have been, but around tech, around developers, networking people, um, infrastructure people. We've hired market operations, trade operations people. What we have left to hire is, um, you know, we, we need people under within those organizations. So probably a couple people in finance, uh, a couple people in legal and compliance, um, maybe one or two more member experience people, probably a couple more operations, trade ops, market ops folks. 
Um, we're still hiring for uh, our chief information security officer and probably one in that area. That's generally where what we have left. So in, hypothetically, again, there's no telling you know, when these kind of things work out, but let's say by Q3, you know, early Q4, assuming everything goes well with the SEC and everything like that, you would imagine that the company's going to be about 50, 60, it would sound to me, or a little bit smaller, a little so, bit more? So a little bit less. We're, we're looking to launch uh, by about with about 49 people. Okay. Um, and we actually, we look to launch sometime in the summer. Okay. So that's the, the goal. So the third the third angle there, or the third really strand of, of what we have to do to launch is the technology side of things. And that's the, you know, getting things out, getting it tested, getting all the members connected, um, having everybody test, having everybody approved as a, an, as a member once we become an exchange. And then we can go ahead and launch. So we would look to do that sometime, sometime in the middle of the summer. And, and Tom, I think that you know, what goes into that now? So you're still waiting for SEC approval. We've had obviously, famously with IEX, um, you know, kind of creating the coil, the speed bump, everything like that. Yours is more the the premise is more about just structural of we're going to be a members exchange. Everybody's buying in. You know, it's going to be. You know, it's kind of co-op kind of society, I guess, um, in some ways. But um, how do you try and go about, yes, and, and you kind of already addressed this a little bit, but how do you say we're going to be unique, not just from that perspective, but that we will create a more efficient, from a technological standpoint, trading environment for our users because we're starting from the ground up and because we're going to create partnerships with the technology companies out there that exist and figure out what we need to, how do you kind of create that balancing act, I guess? Yeah, I think the, you know, again, uh, th- there is that component of, of, you know, what do you take on that's new given the time that you have? Um, but one of the things that, uh, you know, we are the great beneficiary of is the introduction of some uh, kind of state-of-the-art new switching infrastructure, uh, new server infrastructure. We have a great partnership with Intel uh, Intel has a technology available now called Optane Memory, which is a non-volatile memory. Um, that unlocks a lot of interesting things for us when we t- talk about data persistence and being able to survive different types of outages and that sort of thing. Um, but it's also becoming denser and denser. So we're going to be able to run the entire exchange in a single rack of computers, uh, what we call a hyperconverged infrastructure, um, and still maintain M plus 1 and in some cases M plus 2 redundancy through that entire stack. Um, that smaller footprint um, actually decreases risk for the industry, but also increases uh, determinism performance because we don't have this kind of layer upon layer or bloat at the infrastructure side. Um, so, you know, literally there's a couple of switches between a client and our matching complex. Um, that that kind of determinism around trading we think is going to benefit every industry participant. Um, we've seen that kind of change over the last 10 years. It uh, the traffic profiles in this industry have changed dramatically as everybody's kind of gotten smart and, and it's become a technology-driven industry. Sure. Um, less messages, but they occur in very, very small bursts now versus, you know, kind of a, a you know, disperse you know, set of messages across the day. So we're dealing with a very different engineering problem um, with having to deal with these kind of microbursts. And um, by, you know, customers want determinism. They want deterministic latency. They want deterministic performance. Um, and, and by shrinking kind of the footprint down and using these modern uh, pieces of infrastructure, we believe we can accomplish that. From day one, the investors have been talking to us about increasing determinism, and that's really been a focus for us, and we're staying focused on that. And the things that that brings is just, just to simplify it a little bit, if you know 
the outcome, if you're more confident in the outcome, you're willing to make better markets. So if you're a market maker and you want to bid or offer and you know that you will get a cancel when you send a cancel, you may be m more willing to narrow a spread or put more size out there. If you're writing an institutional algo and you have a model and you know that when you make a correction to that order or you make a cancel, you're going to get you, you you're going to get that response back in a in a in a specific period of time. You're going to be able to work on your models better and hopefully improve performance for your clients. So we think that interaction will the interaction in the market will will help all participants. So this idea around increasing determinism, and I'll leave it open for whoever wants to jump in on this. Forgive me for my ignorance on this. It would sound to me almost like it'll be easier if you have smaller volumes coming in as opposed to, let's say, NYSE or somebody, NASDAQ, that are going to have more and more volume coming in. That Am I incorrect in the way that I'm characterizing this, that if you have few orders, then you can be more responsive to the order? Or no. am I completely off no, base it, here? No, it's more around the technology. Okay. It's more around a consistent response to technology. So the reason you don't have determinism, NYC and NASDAQ work <clears throat> very hard, and they have great technology, there's no doubt. They spend a and lot of money on they it. They sure do. Um, but just as an example of what, what Tom was saying, when we're in, because we're in one rack and someone's coming across two switches, when they go to one of the other exchanges, they may be coming across seven switches. That, those seven switches, as good of a job as New York and NASDAQ are going to do, that adds some risk and some potential lack of determinism. So it's it's not about the amount of flow that's coming in, it's about the technology that you built that will give you a more consistent outcome. Right. Yeah, and, and it's really, uh, you know, not, not to get overly, uh, you know, technical on this, but it's really about queuing theory ultimately. Um, to your point, Tony, if, if larger volumes, right? If you if you if your funnel, if the spigot at the at the drain end of your funnel uh, is insufficient to handle the actual ingress of, of traffic, that creates non-determinism. That creates latencies and, and jitter in your system. So the trick is to come up with architectures that'll that'll perform across the entire traffic profile. So whether it's one order a, a second or a million orders a second or five million orders a second, you're going to get the same exact response from the exchange because we have enough uh, throughput to be able to respond in, in a like amount of time. But, and again, I, I'm not trying to be difficult in any way, but it would seem to me, and again, just a journalism major from Plattsburgh, so, I, I, but for our listeners out there that might be, you know, that they're used to NASDAQ, they're used to NYSE, they've spent a lot of money. What would they kind of say? I'm not fully understanding how they weren't able to, because you're saying that they're going through different switches, multiple switches, but certainly I would think that they've kind of hammered that out. Or are you saying that this is the whole point why these investors are coming in here, these members are coming in here and saying that we want to be honest, because they, they haven't. But to me, it's like, I understood the, the market data fee component of this, but I'm not sure that I fully grasp the technology component of it. And forgive me, that's, again, it's no, my sure. ignorance, but Absolutely. I think there might be some people listening that also don't. Yeah, well, certainly, you know, we, we talked about the networking being part of the of the, uh, of the stack and, and the jitter that it, it could create. But but when you actually talk about deterministic performance, it's the entire engineering discipline. It's the network engineering. It's the system engineering. It's the software. Um, you, you have to assign budgets to certain processes, and you have to maintain timing on those things. So it, it becomes very much a... 
uh, I wouldn't say it's a hard real-time system, but it's certainly a soft real-time system. And to maintain that determinism, tasks have to compete in a certain amount of time. And you, you really need good engineers. And, and those, co- those companies all have very good engineers. Um, and, but, but, you know, they also, they're also have existing businesses and they have, uh, it's, it's, it's harder than it is for us to basically apply new technologies and insert new technologies. Um, but we're the beneficiary of being able to provide the latest compute, the latest infrastructure. Uh, we have engineers that have kind of done this before. We've simplified the market from uh, an order type perspective and a modifier perspective. So we, we've kind of bounded the problem and, and some of the things that exist in this industry that actually create non-determinism just by the nature of, of, of how they operate, um, you know, we've chosen to remove from, from the exchange. So, uh, so there's even a business component to it. And we say, we looked at everything and said, you know, we, we asked the question, why a lot? Why is that the way it is? Is it because of market structure? Is it driven by that apparatus? Is it driven by the regulatory apparatus? Or is it just an artifact of, uh, you know, some technical debt that you've been carrying or, or uh, you know, the artifact of some M&A activity or, uh, you know, uh, a decision that was made to drive, you know, quarterly P&L, as a, for example. Um, so we asked that question a lot, and, and that allowed us to, to really trim the rule book down quite significantly and, and kind of get rid of those things that, that were kind of uh, – uh, evil, if you yeah. will, in the face of in the face of performance. Sure, and as you've gone about building this, just to, just so I know, like from a cloud perspective, are you reaching out to any of the big public cloud providers, or is this something that you're going to be looking to build internally? No, we're we're talking to all the cloud providers. Um, there's nothing in our architecture that prevents any of the, anything from running in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it'll be a business decision about where different services run. Um, but kind of getting back to that data, making that data available. Um, in the cloud is is really formative, we think, and, and um, allowing our clients to run analytics on that data. Those cloud uh, GPUs. That exactly, and whatever they choose to do with it, but giving it to them in a format that they can easily ingest and giving it, giving it to them in, in you know, as real time as you possibly can so they can make interesting decisions about it, and possibly even intraday, um, whereas maybe today it's an overnight process. Um, because you don't have that amount of compute you can unleash on that problem uh, in that very expensive brick-and-mortar data center is, is something that we think is really interesting. And then uh, just two other, from a surveillance perspective, obviously exchanges spend a lot of money on that. Is that something you're building internally or going outsource? And then uh, matching engine, again, internally, or are you looking to partner with people? Um, we're outsourcing surveillance. Uh, can you talk about who um, the, the company is going to be? Uh, we're, we're certainly outsourcing that. It's not something we're interested in building ourselves. Um, we'll be making a, an announcement shortly uh, around who we chose for that. Okay. Uh, and then on the matching engine side? Uh, the matching engine side, we, we chose to build that internally. And uh, certainly there, there's a lot of options out there. But given the, uh, the new infrastructure we're using and how we've chosen to architect our system, it made sense for us to actually build that ourselves to leverage those technologies that I mentioned before. Okay, very good. Let's just uh, you know, let's kind of round this out. But... So what? So, take away the regulatory aspects of this. Um, you're putting together the pieces. You're adding, um, building out the team. Are there any other components that any major milestones that you hope to be hitting on in 2020 here that we're facing? I'll leave it to whoever. Yeah. yeah so one one thing I will say in terms of us building a company is we are very focused on culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we believe that culture will really drive the success of our company. Can you, get, um, can you give me an example of what you learned when you were at Instinet? Maybe mistakes that were made, maybe, or, you know, just 
lessons learned along the way as to how you go about building the proper culture? Because it's such an easy thing to say. I want to build a good culture. And so yeah, like, absolutely. You, know, no. you have beer Fridays, but then what else do you have, you know? <laughs> Pool tables. And, exactly. and no mistakes were made at Instanet. So, <laughs> but I did learn some things. Um, no, so when I was at Instanet, I spent time trying to understand. Instanet had a great culture, and I wanted to, to understand how to harness it. Um, and another thing that was going on at the time was the industry, a lot of pressure on, on the industry in general, on the brokerage business. Um, and people were working very hard. We were asking them to do more with less we were we were we were shrinking and we were asking people to do more and we actually were struggling to pay people more and historically on Wall Street we've always thought about if you do a good job you get paid more and everything's about money and so I did it I tried to learn what motivates people and what I ended up finding was that it's not it's not about money necessarily I mean people need to be paid a fair amount of money um, but what drives people are they're uh, having a purpose in what you're doing and having the ability to play. And when I say play, I don't mean um, ping pong or, or, or drinking beers, but more enjoying what you're doing. I mean, it's not a journalism organization, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, so, so having purpose and play, and I, and I actually read a bunch on this and, and found a, a great book called Prime to Perform, um, which I would recommend, um, which was a, a way to implement it in, in, in our type of business um, across whether it was a, a sales training business or a technology group or a finance group, that, that if you can bring purpose to what people are doing, you can help motivate them. Um, and a lot of it was, and Instanet had a built-in purpose, and, and I think Memex actually has a built-in purpose, but a lot of it is reminding people and making sure they're aware that that purpose is important, that we care about that purpose, that we think about that purpose when we're doing our work, and, and then I think they feel a lot more rewarded and that they feel a lot more satisfaction out of the work that, we're, that they're doing. So that's one of the big things that I learned in terms of, of what is important from a culture perspective. Um, I also, you know, we're just, we're just very big on transparency, which is part of why we were, we were formed, but also in terms of how we treat our people. Um, efficiency, again, trying to build efficient technology, but be efficient around our communication. Um, and then and then trust. I think well, you have to be, especially when you have a members exchange. You're going to say we're, you're going to have to be. It's going to be a challenge for you guys too, right? It, it, it's a, a, hopefully a pleasant challenge, but it's going to be a challenge, right? To make sure that these people are buying in, that you're able to clearly articulate along the way. I'm sure it's got to create different challenges than just kind of creating an exchange out of no out of the blue, right? Oh yeah, we have a lot of people that are focused on it. A lot of, <laughs> and, and what's great is we have a lot of people that really know what no market structure. Um, sure which they can help, but they also are going to, to make sure we're doing the right thing. Um, and then I think the final thing is just trust, you know, that, that we, we're, we're, we're bringing people in that we're going to treat them like professionals, we're going to trust them, they need to be able to come in and trust us and bring, up, bring any issues or concerns to us so that things are, are on the table very quickly and, and we can move forward quickly. Yeah. And Tom, anything from your idea as far as building that kind of culture idea, anything that you've learned along the way? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll echo what Jonathan said. Uh, to me, it's always kind of been about interesting work with interesting people um, that are, uh, you know, kind of focused on a common goal and have a like think about what they're trying to do. And, and that motivates engineers more than anything else. Uh, I, I've always kind of liked to say that, you know, money's nice, don't get me wrong, but money uh, money I've always kind of classified as a tolerator, not a motivator. You know, a lot of money just makes you tolerate a bad situation longer. you got to hit a benchmark on money, I think. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, you know, exactly. Certainly I hit a benchmark. <laughs> certainly. But, I mean, to me it's always kind of been about interesting work with, with folks that, that uh, you know, I hope, you know, uh, are also of that same like mind um, that I respect, that I, you know, hope respect 
uh, me and, and I think you know Jonathan's point about trust is critical. Um, high performing teams uh, must trust each other, uh, and uh, you get to a point with a team where you don't have to assign anybody any work. You can be in a room at our architecture meeting, and we'll make a decision, and nobody has to be told what to do. They all naturally know what their part is and what their piece is, and they trust the person next to them uh, to execute it. That's the only way uh, you know you can kind of uh, kind of tackle these these big problems. And um, you know we're, we're we're very blessed to have an incredible uh, team here at Memex, and uh, uh, that's how great things happen. Okay. And uh, Jonathan, just I know that you guys aren't interested in the crypto space, but obviously you had a brief dalliance with uh, Coinbase, obviously notably. And CME is, you know, people are kind of gearing up for this Bitcoin future. It's coming out. As I understand it, you guys are staying away from that space. Am I correct on uh, kind of crypto, kind of any sort of that kind of area? Or is it just too early for that? Or how are you looking at it? Yeah, our focus right now is on launching a U.S. equity exchange. Um, We do plan. We're building great technology. We have a great team. We do plan to do other things. Um, that's for uh, what you know once we once we are closer if not having launched the US equity exchange we'll figure out what's next I, I don't think anything is off the table yeah. uh, we're gonna look at where there is room for where a place that needs competition or where there's 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 fees to be to reduced or there's there's room for for, for um, there's margin room um, and we're also going to work with our investors to figure out you know the fortunate part that we have is our investors trade all over the world um, any assets that are liquid and so we can work with our investors to figure out where's the right next place to go um, so no, nothing planned yet and nothing's really off the table and any thoughts as to why maybe things didn't work out at uh, coinbase and why you're here at now <laughs> yeah i mean everything happens for a reason um <laughs> I, you know coinbase uh, unfortunately i i never got there you know yeah. i was on garden leave at the time um i think you know coinbase is a a, a, a startup company that is moving very quickly um, and they were um, wanted to, to explore where the institutional space was going. And I think the feeling was, and there were a lot of smart people there, that the institutions weren't coming as quickly as they had thought. So they were building out a whole team for to, to really penetrate the institutional market and spending money on it, and it just wasn't happening quickly enough. And so they, they pulled back, and I was one of those people that they said, look, well, it doesn't make sense to bring you in if we're not going to build an institutional business, and what are you going to do here? Um, and I, I don't know that they weren't wrong. It's a year later, and I don't know that institutions are necessarily in the crypto space in a meaningful way. Yeah. I mean, people are still trying to go at it, and, and at some point maybe they will. Um, I, I do think digital assets, you know, and, and a big a big part of my interest is around digital assets necessarily more than crypto. I don't know exactly what happens with crypto. Sure. I do believe that digital assets will take hold at some point in time. Okay. And then I'll, I'll, one last question for each of you. I'll, I'll try and split it up in two different ways. I'll start with uh, you, Jonathan. But um, looking ahead just at the space, at the exchange space, the reason why Memex was created, as we head into 2020, obviously you guys have a call statement, you know, a mission statement that you're going to be looking to answer on as far as um, exchange fees, as far as transparency and the like. Take the exchange out of it for a second. What are the main pressures facing the market that you see as we head here into 2020 on into 2021? Obviously, I would assume that Memex will look to uh, answer for these changes, but what are kind of the main things that trading uh, that that the sell side and the buy side are most frustrated with that they're going to be looking to answer for here in 2020? So I think um, I would say 
it, it's impossible to take fees out. I mean, there's just an incredible amount of cost pressure on both the sell side and the buy side. Um, things have been moving, so there's so much more traded from, from passively than active, um, which reduces mm -hmm. fees. There's just pressure on fees. It used to be just on the sell side there were pressure on fees. Now there's pressure on the buy side on fees. Um, there's been an incredible amount of technology brought to bear, which means people need scale which is forcing pressure on fees and, and, and requiring scale is, is causing a lot of mergers. So there's just a lot of pressure on business. Sure. And I think those are the big, the big themes that I see. And, and that's why it's it, you know, hard to take us out of it. And that's why I, I'm really enjoying what we're doing is I think one of the things we're doing is trying to re reduce some of that pressure as best we sure. can by reducing fees. Well, that'll be but, if you're successful, that'll, you'll have to. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and so, so that's, that's, I think, one of the big things that, that we're feeling across the street. And, um, it's definitely, you know, Wall Street is evolving very, very quickly um, and because of because of these fees and, and because of the, sorry, because of the technology, because of the increased technology and the increased use of technology and the increased spend and the, the need for scale. Yeah. And Tom, maybe to round it out then, you know, from a technology perspective, from and you can also obviously build off of what Jonathan was saying, but whether it's, you know, with cloud, GPUs, APIs, FPGA, you kind of talked about it at the very beginning here, but it is an interesting new world and more and more companies in finance that 10 years ago would never call themselves a technology company are now very, very much calling themselves technology companies. What do you kind of see as being some of the big drivers um, in the market that will that you feel that will help you guys to get ahead? Um, well, I certainly think uh, you, one of the other things that technology does is it makes things simpler. Uh, so what looks to be very simple on the outside, obviously complicated on the inside, um, but the availability of the market, um, democratization of access, um, because you don't necessarily require this huge capital investment, um, I think you'll see technology start breaking down some of those barriers and, and there'll be more participation. Um, so that's one thing. And I think the other thing is, as we look at it from a data perspective, you know, we talked about some of those tech, technology you just mentioned. Uh, one of the other things is once you get all this data available in something like a cloud or something like a highly available data platform, um, you know, the world of machine learning starts and, and, and inference modeling starts opening up to you. And I think what we'll start to see is as kind of these data models become more ubiquitous, mm -hmm. um, processes that, that used to take, you know, overnight or days to happen can now happen you know, during the trading day. And that'll be uh, a big state change, I think, of the entire uh, ecosystem will kind of get, you know, kind of ripple through the whole thing. And, and certainly there'll, there'll be, uh, you know, kind of a recalibration because of it, but I think it'll fundamentally change how, how trading is done. All right. Well, gentlemen, hope to have you back on about a year from now. Guys will be up and launch, and we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some of the challenges as uh, an exchange actually goes live. And uh, best of luck, though, to you in 2020. Thank, Thank you, you very much. much. Thank, Thank you for having us. Thanks, guys.